John chapter 19 this morning. <clears throat> These verses will be familiar to you, at least the first 13. You've seen them in the last couple of weeks, and we approach them then from one angle, and now we're going to approach them a little differently to look at the actual event that is occurring here. And so John chapter 19, we will take our reading from verse 1, and we will read to the end of the chapter. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Then Jesus, Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to be crucified. They took Jesus therefore, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two other men on either side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. 
Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am, excuse me, but he said, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts apart to every soldier and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth. So that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again another scripture says. They shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things Joseph of Arimathea. Being a disciple of Jesus. But a secret one for fear of the Jews. Asked Pilate. And he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen wrappings with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden 
and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, give us sight to see. Let us see the beauty of this passage and let us see the horror of this passage and let us see Christ as our King. Oh Lord, make it so that we might cling to Him and have no other hope. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. For the past couple of weeks, we've, we've, looked, at, we've looked at a battle between kingdoms, between the kingdoms of this world, one which was a, a perverted kingdom of Christ. They had taken Christ's word, they had perverted it, they had made it say what it wasn't, as seen in the Pharisees. And then a legitimate kingdom that is wrongly, well, wrongly ruling, the kingdom of, well, at that time of Rome, as represented by Pilate. And you've seen the battle they're waging because Christ, Christ says that He is fulfilling the Scripture. He is doing what is, well, what is right to secure victory for His kingdom. And you get to chapter 19, and it looks as if the battle is over. That those kingdoms have won. That those who had perverted God's word and cried out crucify won over those which are a legitimate kingdom. He was scared by them, scared that they would tell on him in essence. And so he hands over Christ, even though he does it reluctantly. And if you aren't careful and, and you don't read it well, you will think that the kingdoms of this world win. But here, in chapter 19, in this, in this picture of weakness, Christ is securing your victory as your king. Christ is doing that which no other king would ever do. Christ wins in his death. And so the victory that we have here. It demonstrates the nature of Christ's kingdom. That, that He is saving us from something greater. Not greater, better, but greater, larger than the kingdoms of this earth. He is saving us from something more, more terrible than earthly bondage. No, in this kingly act, He delivers us from the bondage. To sin. And the kingdom, excuse me, and the passage breaks down pretty easily for us. We, we take it as we see Christ acting as our king, which is what he's doing. We're going to take it in four points. Four points. We see Christ mocked as our king. We see him proclaimed as our king. We see him disrobed as our king. And we see him acting as our king. And all of this is in battle. 
even while he is nailed to a cross, hands unmoving, feet unmoving, he is accomplishing a battle far greater than deliverance from the things of this world. So, what do we see him? How do we see him mocked? Verses 1 through 7, right? Pilate scourges Jesus and hands him over. And, and they have heard, these soldiers have heard, this man makes himself out to be a king according to those accusing him. And they know that he has already said, you say it. I am a king and my, my kingdom is not of this world. And so how do they mock him? They set a crown. Upon his head. And this is not a, a crown of thorn, not a crown of gold, which even that is a mockery for Christ. For, for Christ in glory, the one who shines greater than the light, he treads on gold like asphalt. It's nothing to him. But they mock him without even realizing how great the mockery is. They bring that which is worthless. How many of you have ever prized? Thorns. You prize the rose, you hate the thorn. Right? You, you like the blackberry, you do nothing with the thorns. Well, they take that which is worthless and they weave it together in order to shame him. And we're told in the other gospels they put a reed in his hand to, to appear as a scepter. But here we're told they put him in a purple robe. Again, mocking. He says he's a king. Let us make him look like an earthly king. And without even knowing it, they're debasing him further. You've already seen how he's clothed. On the Mount of Transfiguration, when, when for a moment the, the, the earthly vision is peeled back, the glory is so great that they can't even see. Paul riding, or Saul riding to Damascus on his way is blinded by the glory. And yet they are mocking him in their earthly way. And so they do it in order to shame him. And they say, hail, hail the king of the Jews. They were mocking and yet declaring the truth at the same time. And Jesus allows it to happen. Because... He's at battle. He's at war for his people, tearing down principalities and strongholds. He is doing that which we cannot do. Remember, he's already felled them with a word. They came out in the garden. He says, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they, they fall back. And yet now he lets them mock him as he goes. To battle. So here Christ, the creator, the king, the sovereign of the universe, one with a triune God who decreed this is being treated as less than nothing in order that we might inherit everything. And they mock him. And then they proclaim him as king, don't they? It's Pilate who does this. He brings them, brings Jesus out and he says, behold the man. They cry out, crucify. And they say, he made himself out to be the son of God. And, and Pilate goes in afraid and he says, where are you from? And Pilate then questions Jesus in these verses. 
And as you look through these verses again and again, you know that Pilate knows something is something's different about this one. Something is not like others who have risen up in insurrection. No, this is a king unlike any other. And so then Pilate, after he hears, hears the words of Christ, after he hears Jesus tell him he has no authority, takes him out to the pavement. To Gabbatha, where he's going to make his ruling. And in his ears are still ringing the words of those people. Anyone who makes himself out to be king, well, he's no friend of Caesar. He opposes Caesar. And Pilate then, well, he says to the Jews, behold your king. And even as Pilate isn't fully convicted... Even as Pilate isn't 100% sure, he knows something's different, but he knows enough that the words that he state aren't mocking. Most of the time when we read this, we, we sort of read it in sarcasm, as if he's mocking Jesus. But no, Pilate's acting as a man afraid. He's acting as a man afraid of the people because he really doesn't want to go through what Caesar would do to him. He would be on the cross if Caesar found out that he supported an insurrectionist. Another king. But he's afraid. Because this is not one that he has ever been around before. He does not know one like unto Jesus. And so he says, behold your king. And something about the way they answer, right, lets you know. He's not our king. Away with him. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. They know that Pilate really believes something different. And Pilate believes it so much so that he proclaims him again. In multiple languages. The king of the Jews. He proclaims it in Hebrew. He proclaims it in Latin. He proclaims it in Greek. So that the truth is testified to to all who come by and see it. Now Pilate means it as a, as a means of appeasing his conscience. He knows that something's there. But he's still guilty of the sin. And so even in his proclamation. Pilate is a man of unbelief. A man who doesn't close with Christ. And so then Jesus at the height of battle is crucified. He carries his cross and he goes to Golgotha. And there it's proclaimed over him. And it's at the cross. As you read this declaration. You understand that, that what is happening here is greater than they realize. Those soldiers the soldiers don't know because they continue to mock him, don't they? They strip him bare. And that's where we get to Jesus disrobed as our king. And yes, the embarrassment is there. Yes, the pain is there. Christ has been scourged. He's been made to carry his cross. He's already weak. You know he falls. You know Simon picks it up. He's made to carry it for him. And Christ gets to the cross and now they've crucified him. Now... Being crucified simply means he's been nailed to the cross. You, you don't need the details of the pain, but it's, it's painful. And now you need to know that he is doing 
more. Because you're likely drawing the connection of, you know what? I would not want to be hung naked in front of a bunch of people and crucified. And yes, the shame is there. Yes, the, the, the awful indignity is there for someone who is sinless. Someone who would not deserve this. But that's not the only connection you need to make. As Christ is lifted up, He's descending into the height of His humiliation. Into the depth of it, if you will. It's the apex. And so they strip him bare. And you ought to remember. You ought to remember back in John chapter 13. Jesus takes off his own robe. And Jesus descends in humiliation. And he washes his disciples feet. And he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And he rises again and he takes back his robe and he's seated at the table. So it is here Christ is disrobed for you. And he says in this action. Unless I wash you here. You have no part with me. He's at the height of battle. He is at the apex. He is descending in humiliation. But he is winning battle for you. Oh, they're making much of his robe. They're mocking. They're going to take it. They, they don't even realize they're fulfilling Scripture. But Jesus will be raised again. And he will take his rightful place. He will take that robe and he will ascend to the Father. His whole, his whole incarnation was humiliation for us. But here as he's disrobed, you get the height of it, don't you? That Christ is disrobed in order that you might be robed in His righteousness. Amen. He is stripped bare in order that you might put on that which isn't rightly yours. Just as those soldiers would. They gambled for it. One took it home. And he was clothed in Jesus' cloak. Well, that's a picture for us that Christ... Christ endured this that you, you might go home clothed in His righteousness. You have none of your own. You didn't come to your own righteousness by your work. You need Christ stripped bare for you. In order that you might have hope. And so we sang it, didn't we? We sang Psalm 22. You read all of this as you sang Psalm 22, and you ought to have had in your heart, put to mind, this is Jesus. This is Christ. And we ended on a low note there. He's simply encircled by those who would crucify Him. Well, we're going to sing the rest of Psalm 22 next week. And in the rest of Psalm 22, we are, we are, we are pictured with the glory of the resurrected Christ. Just as now, Jesus is being crucified. And if you stop here, if you stop at the cross, well, you're left without hope. But it's only in the cross that you have hope that He would be disrobed and crucified for you. And then you see Jesus, don't you? As He is there on the cross, you, you see Him acting as your King, don't you? They're gambling away for his, for his tunic. And they say to one another, let's divide it. 
And then standing by the cross of Jesus. Or his mother. And his mother's sister. And Mary the wife of Clopas. And Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother. The disciple whom he loved standing nearby. What does he do? He provides for her. That she would not be without, would be with want. He's acting as a very kingly, in a very kingly way, in compassion. And the same, same provision that he makes for his mother, he makes for his brothers and sisters. That they would never be left without. Even here, he goes to his death in order that the Spirit might come, in order that we might be provided for. He's already told you this must happen so that he can provide by the Spirit. And then, and then Jesus, aware of all that is going on, even in a state of agony, descending into the hell of God's wrath, even then he has only in his mind the glory of God and fulfilling the scriptures. Knowing it's all completed, he says, I thirst. I thirst. And so as he cries this out, you know, in the Old Testament, a picture of thirst is a picture of coming under the curse of God. And Jesus, for his people, drinks the wrath of God. Drinks it down all the way to the very end, the dregs, as it were. And he drinks the cup of wrath. For us, And after he does so, well, we know the other gospel accounts, well, he doesn't just lay down with a whimper. He cries out, doesn't he? It is finished. He's acting as a king. He's declaring the war is over. He's declaring victory that he might win for his people. And then what happens? He, well, he's buried as a king, isn't he? He's buried in royalty. A man comes, a man who is obviously wealthy and has an ear with Pilate. And he says, give me his body. A man who, who has until now not been known to us. A man who, who is taking his own life in his hands. And another man who you've seen before. They come to him with all the riches they could bear. A hundred pounds of, of spices to wrap him. And so he's buried. He's buried royally. But Jesus in his death, we find out, has fulfilled all scripture. He has no broken bones. And they pierce him. That we might look upon him. And so what do we do? With this vision of Christ as a king. Because if you look at it with the wrong set of eyes. And you stop in verse 42. The tomb was nearby and they laid Jesus there. If you, if you look at it through those eyes. Well you know that the kingdoms of this world win. Or at least you think they do. But there's more to it than this. No, no, it doesn't look like victory to our sight. It looks like a man who lost. But that's not what is to be seen here. This battle is unlike battles where, where the king who survives wins. 
Right? The whole point of chess between the battle of those two kings is to defeat the king. But for us, but for us in this battle, it's the king who gives himself over to death that we might live. Because we, we don't fear. Because chapter 20 is coming. And so we need to see then as we look at this, that this scene... The greatest human injustice ever perpetrated was perpetrated in order to fulfill divine justice. This is where he who knew no sin was made sin in order that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You need to see this as victory. That here, here, We call it Good Friday, not because of what takes place, but because of what takes place. You understand, don't you, that this is is a real tragedy, a real travesty of justice. This is where injustice is completely seen. But also here, in this tragedy, in this injustice, we're given hope. Hope that this is... This is life to us. That we might say with that hymn writer. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. This is the vision you need of your king. That it might carry you through all your days. So that when we come to the table as we will In just a few moments, this is what He sets before your eyes. That you might know your King has secured victory for you. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. That you might be given life. That you might be covered in His robe of righteousness. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, we give you...